to hold it to just a little bit. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to uh, I'm going to wait on it for just a little bit. I'm going to shift and adjust the sermon some just a little bit for the sake of time. But I'm really excited to share. Told the church family Wednesday night and briefly Sunday morning after all the craziness of sharing us last six weeks, just trying to be much more diligent the last two to three weeks to get some personal discipline in my own life, get a little bit of routine, and uh, to get a little bit better regimen of my personal study and preparation for Sunday. You know, as a pastor, our preparation for today must start days ahead. And, and we have to, uh, you know, set our set the course. I mean, of course, the Lord can change it all. But, you know, at the same time, some people think that it's not the Lord unless he just shows up on Sunday. But, you know, God can show up on Monday and start preparing you for the next Sunday. And this has been in my heart, and it's an extension of where I was at last week. And um, I, I think it's, the, I know it's the right thing, especially with based upon some of the, the folks that are here today. If you'll let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart today, and if you'll let your eyes be open to the truth that's in the Word of God, I'm telling you, the life change that you've often thought about, hoped for, but it will be so closer to a reality than you ever dreamed. Um, the, the process of change that is produced in your life through your faith in Christ, and that process will be unfolding in front of us here a little bit today. So why don't you do something with me? And uh, even though we're not going to uh, read this text of Scripture just yet, let's stand up and let's pray together over the Word of God. Because in a few moments, we're going to read 14 verses from the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. Let's pray and let's prepare our hearts diligently before God and let's ask the Lord to speak with great clarity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as I have read just briefly this morning in private devotion, that Peter said, if any man speak... Let him speak as the oracles of God. And that prayer I echo, or that, that exhortation I echo here today. I ask that as I speak the word today, that it, I would be as uh, the oracles of God. I would communicate the truth. The Holy Spirit could use my even limited vo vocabulary and my limited knowledge, but somehow through a, um, an earthen vessel, the treasure of the word of God could uh, emanate forth. I pray that today. And let the people here today, every person, certainly myself included, be ready to receive what you have to say. Write it on the tablet of our heart. Let it not just be a sermon that will fall on deafened ears, but God, let it be a truth that's readily, readily caught hold of, and it becomes a transforming force in our lives today. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, and you can be seated. God bless you. Now, before we get to the text, let me take a moment to backtrack a couple of things. If you were here last Sunday, you remember, or you might remember if with a little bit of encouragement, that I preached from the text in the book of Galatians, and though I read multiple passages of Scripture, but in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians, Paul uh, wrote, They that are Christ... And I drew our attention to being Christ. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. The reality is, is that the sin nature that we are redeemed from at conversion, 
The desire to sin is still contained in our fleshly appetite because the flesh has to be what we call mortified or crucified daily. And our flesh will eventually be changed at the coming of Christ. Until then, the, the desires of the flesh can still be present within us. And it becomes a process of learning how to overcome those desires and how to live a life that's pleasing to God. Paul went farther in that passage. He said, if we live in the Spirit, or you could read it this way, if we live by the Spirit, if we're made alive by the Spirit, let us walk in or walk by the Spirit. And I address two points. Number one, are my sins forgiven? And number two, how do I stop sinning? Does anybody remember that message, right? Okay. Well, three of you. Thank you very much. Um, are my sins forgiven? I want to echo that again. Are my sins forgiven? And how do I stop sinning? And as a prelude to it, I took a moment of personal uh, analogy that I want to pick back up just very quickly of sharing from my personal experiences recently of when Sherry and I sold our home and we uh, are trying to move into the world of debt-free. That's a great freedom. Now, there are those under the sound of my voice that understand that freedom. And there are some that you're so far on the other side of the indebtedness that you really can't fully wrap your mind around what it would be like. And I shared just very quickly, I went back into the, 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 the fact that for the last 13 years, we had been wrestling with the mortgage uh, since we had been here, even though we had moved three times since I've been the pastor at First Assembly. But I took you back in time to when Sherry and I had uh, experienced a tragic loss when we were pastoring the church at Shirley and that we... Uh, we were out of that tragic moment, and it was a tragedy. Um, my children were traumatized um, for a short period of time, and um, Sherry ignorantly burst into the door to save the dog while the house was on fire, right? So, I mean, we know what potentially could have happened right there. That was a very, so it was, even though I don't talk about that. Um, there's actually a couple here that was there that night, wasn't Jerry and Pam uh, came, came out that night, uh, so, so when your house is being engulfed in flames, right there, there, there is a great tragedy. But, I, but I've shared previously how that from that tragic moment, there was a, 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 a quantum leap in our lives financially. Number one, through the compassions of people. People heard about a pastor with six children and resources. Started, people started giving. I told you I went to the mailbox like a kid on Christmas. For the next two months because, uh, and I didn't have, always have a mailbox, but people found us. And it was, it was an amazing display of gratitude, uh, uh, not a gratitude, of grace. And um, so, but from that, from that, just real quickly, typically whenever I've alluded to it, I've alluded to it from the change that was worked in me financially. I learned to handle resources differently. I learned that if you can manage a little you can manage more. I've learned that the only difference between $100 and $1,000 is a zero. Hello? Or $1,000 and 10000 is a zero. And so Jesus himself said, if you're faithful in a few things, I can make you master of many. And I've testified about how that it changed my life. 
in that sense. But I want to share with you real quickly is what I've started to see is that there's a much deeper analogy there than just walking in the financial freedom, and I thank God for that. But what, what I was able to allude to was the freedom from that indebtedness. Because as I shared last week, Paul affirmed through the book of Romans that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were all indebted to God because of our sin, not just the sin of Adam, but our own transgressions brought us in bondage to the sin nature. But the blood of Jesus was the propitiation, which means the atoning sacrifice that produced the desired, uh, the desired effect, which was redemption. I shared on Sunday a week ago that Peter said that you've not been redeemed by corruptible things as of silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without spot or blemish. And I made point to note that in God's economy of perching us back from the slavery of sin, God did not choose gold or silver or any precious metal. This is what Paul or Peter alluded to. Peter might not have been aware of uh, titanium or platinum or any such thing. He may, may have not known that underneath his feet there in that Middle Eastern area was oil that would have great value one day. But what he knew was that no matter what the earthly substance was, it could not satisfy the indebtedness that we all owe to God. But the blood of Jesus Christ spilled at the cross of Calvary would satisfy that demand. And it would produce in us, if we will allow it, the desired effect of not just redeemed from our sin debtedness, but empowered to live a life that's pleasing to God. That's what I want to transition, and I want to go back to the analogy for a moment, for just a moment, because this is going to help you as I contemplated this. In looking, the Bible talks about a, a natural analogy or a natural example to teach a spiritual principle. When we bought the home that burned down, that was our very first home. And we had mixed uh, emotions because we were moving from a parsonage that was provided for us to having a mortgage. And that was a great challenge uh, for us. And it, and it demanded sacrifice. And we bought a home in, in, in Fairfield Bay for $72,000. Uh, but somehow or another, by the time I financed it, it was $77,000. And after I paid on it for uh, like two or three years of, uh, or a couple of years, we didn't live there long, a couple of years of making, you know, $600 a month, which is $7,200 a year, I'd only taken $2,000 off of the principal because I was new to all that. And, and so, you know, if, if, you haven't, if you haven't been there before and you've never studied it, I can remember, though, when I was getting insurance for the home, and I'm through State Farm. It was Lewis Lee at the time. I was offered, because the, we were getting a good deal on a large home, I was offered $140,000 worth of insurance. But I chose, they said, but we can also, you can go lower like 80% of the replacement value, and that's $117,000. I didn't know anything about it. All I saw was monthly payment. So one probably meant $100 a month for the insurance payment. The other one probably meant 70 and, you know, I, I just say, make my payment as low as I can get. And so when the house burned down, you know, I'd felt a little bit of the sting of, of the mortgage I had. Just, you know, a father of six children, and we were one-income family, 
and uh, pastoring a church and, and, you know, making that monthly payment. I mean, there was not a lot of money to spare. I felt, I, so I felt a little bit of that bondage that sometimes indebtedness can create. And, 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 and sometimes, you know, you, know you, you, you have mixed emotions and everything. So when the house burned down that night, um, there was great tragedy. But the only positive was is that I thought to myself, well, I don't have a mortgage any longer. That's the only positive, but I did have that awareness. But what I did was I didn't have the understanding of the fullness of the insurance policy. So all I thought was is that when the house burned down, I'm insured, which what I thought all that meant was was that they would pay off what I owe. That's the way a lot of people think about their experience with God through the cross is that all Jesus did was pay off what you owed. But I'm going to show you today that when I became brought into the awareness that they weren't going to just pay off what I owed, but that I was also going to be empowered to change my life and go forward. So then I can remember when um, after that I called the insurance that morning to tell them, Lewis Lee met me at Greer's Ferry, and he brought me a check for $5,000. I had never had $5,000, Joe, at one time in my life. I, I, I was talking in tongues. I, I didn't know. I didn't know what to do because, you know, we were living in uh, the only place you could shop up there in Fairfield Bay was Dollar General. And I could buy a lot of clothes at Dollar General, $5,000. And so, so, but that, so I, I didn't know where that was coming from. And so they had to educate me. Part of your Christian walk is being educated in the fullness of what's been provided for you. And so then uh, as negotiations got farther, I found out that the 117000 meant that that's what we will pay you to pay off your indebtedness. But I owed seventy-five. I didn't know that I would then be able to keep the $42,000 difference. And so all of a sudden, when this is being made known to me, all of a sudden, as I'm seeing this in paper, all of a sudden there's a realization that starts to happen inside of me and I begin to realize, wait just a moment, that from this tragedy, I'm released from the debt but suddenly, I'm finding resources that are coming into my life that will start empowering my future. And, and I'm telling you, my eyes, not got greedy, got enlightened. I got enlightened. And then I had, abs- I'm just being as honest as I can be today. I had absolutely no knowledge of content settlement. Zero. I had no knowledge that a part of my policy was not just the house, but was the contents. And my content amount was $93,000. So I'm, when we, we, we took the book, Sears and Roebuck, and we took everything because we listed, we tried to, we searched. I mean, I'm telling you, if you gave the kids a toy that you bought, uh, you know, that a grandma or grandpa bought, we remembered that toy. And we wrote that thing down. <laughs> It took us months, but I'm telling you, if there was a piece of plastic in that house, we wrote it down, and I can tell you there came a day we started building our house in Shirley, and I went to the mailbox, and it had been finally satisfied, and I opened the mailbox to receive a check made out to Lee and Sherry Brown for $88,000, the other $5,000 of the 93. I couldn't speak in tongues then. I was in awe. It was a shock and awe. My heart fluttered. 
But I'm, I'm, I, I kid you not, my heart really did flutter because in that moment I was so grateful to the kindness of God because I see everything that comes in my life through his hand. He makes the sun fall or the rain fall on the just and the unjust. He makes. And so in that moment of time, the enlightenment of my eyes was this. Not only had I been delivered from the indebtedness that I owed, the $75,000 indebtedness that I owed, but I've been empowered now for my and my family's future, right? Because I have a resource that I did not previously have. And by the grace of God, I've testified, by the grace of God, after about 10 or 11 months, we built a debt-free home on 17 acres in Shirley. So in less than one year's time, I went from being in debt, $75,000, to when I sold that home, three years later to become the pastor of First Assembly, I sold that home, I think, for $149,000. What a transition, Right? And I used to think that that was only to teach me the principle of how that God can bless you financially and change you. And he can. But that's the secondary to the knowledge that you're free from sin's indebtedness through the blood of Jesus Christ. But God didn't just come to free you from indebtedness. He came to empower you to live a life that's pleasing to him. He didn't just come to forgive you. He came to restore you to bring change to every area of your life. And so now I'd like for us to go to the book of Romans, the 8th chapter, if we can, for just a moment. And let's just read this together. Are y'all with me? Now, I don't like, I, I hesitate any time that I share, and I understand what Shane spoke a moment ago about when worship doesn't go uh, well, the, past, or the, the youth, or excuse me, the worship pastor feels like he's failed. Any time that I share of a personal experience like that especially when it involves a monetary thing then in my mind the enemy tries to say you're just trying to be you're just trying to brag about that moment i'm trying to brag on the goodness of god i'm trying to be as transparent as i am that i was as ignorant as i could be right but when my eyes got enlightened my whole perspective began to change my whole perspective began to change about how I lived, how I handled resources, how I began to trust God, how I began to say, God, you can bring it in little by little or you can bring it in in one lump sum. God can just bring it in. He's just that faithful. So my whole life, not only again did I realize that my indebtedness was forgiven, but I learned that my life was now empowered to be different, to live different, to set a different precedence for my children and to teach them principles that I previously could not teach them. And I just believe that that shadows what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross of Calvary. That he came not just to forgive you of your sins, but to empower your life for holy living. To live a life that's pleasing to God. So you can get up every day in your life knowing that there is, let's start this off, there is therefore now no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. Come, there's, why is there no condemnation? Condemnation is the debt collector. How many of you ever got that phone call from the debt collector? If they call our house, we're like, uh, they don't live here any longer. How <laughs> many of you ever ran from that debt collector phone call? That's condemnation. That's in essence, that's saying you owe something. You need to pay it. Condemnation is saying you owe something for your past. You owe something because you used to be an addict. You, you owe something because you used to be an adulterer. You owe something. But Jesus said there's no condemnation 
The Word of God says that if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. God does not look upon you as guilty any longer. I made that point as clear as I could last week. God doesn't just look at you as acquitted, meaning he's not charged you with the crime, but he still considers you guilty. Some people perceive those that are acquitted because the, the, the jury couldn't come to a, a unanimous decision. Then that person's acquitted, but many walk away and say, well, they're acquitted, but they're still guilty. God doesn't look at you as acquitted and yet still guilty. Amen. He looks at you as righteous through his son. So there's no condemnation to you. And when you live, when you know that in your life, I'm telling you, it produces the desired effect of freedom. It's just that we walk not. When that condemnation is off of you, and you, here's where the mystery lies. When that condemnation is off of you, then you can live your life pleasing to God. You don't have to live your life in shame. You don't have to live your life with your head bowed over. See, I proved last week by the words of the Apostle Paul, we had all sinned. Even if we haven't sinned as gross or as immoral as yours, that doesn't take away the fact that we have not sinned. We had all sinned, right? And we were unworthy of the righteousness. God considered us all in unbelief so that he could have mercy upon us all. So there's no condemnation, he said, to those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Well, how do I walk after the Spirit? We'll start letting this unfold a little bit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed me from the law of sin and death. So I'm not under the obligation to sin any longer. I've been free from it. And the, Paul uses this analogy of the, both the, the law uh, and, and us being an obligation through our flesh to satisfy the law to which we eventually fail and therefore produce sin. Look at the third verse. And, and this is too deep of a passage for me to stop and just elaborate on every verse. I've got to highlight only a few points. For what the law could not do, it was weak through the flesh. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So sin has been condemned and contained in the flesh that the righteousness or the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I think that the misperception that many have concerning uh, grace in our generation is some see grace as only the release of their indebtedness. And that is simply what we call mercy. Mercy is you deserved judgment, but God in his mercy pardoned you. But he could by, just by being merciful, he could leave you just as you are. But God has chosen not to just leave you just as you are, but to rather empower your life to be pleasing to him. So I want everyone under the sound of my voice to know today, when he wrote these words, he's saying the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Paul's not talking about following every jot and tittle of the Mosaic law because there's so many things that, that, that it really couldn't be done uh, other than what Christ did. But the principle of the law, the law was designed, again, to point us to Christ, but it was also to give us, again, a boundary in life. Now the boundary is not a law that can be hung on a wall somewhere to, read, to be read. Now the law's written on the tablet of our heart. Have you ever drive down a road where there's no yellow line or white line? Now the main highways have a yellow line and a white line to keep us in boundaries. But the back roads, I suppose that our uh, county road system is designed to trust people to be going slow enough. <laughs> To know that you're not supposed to be driving on this side. You're supposed to be on that side. And when somebody comes, you arbitrarily. Well, I'm telling you, God, because of Christ, 
has put something inside of you that we're going to talk about in just a moment here that God trusts that you just arbitrarily know to, walk, to drive on the right side of the road without the yellow line and the white line. You say, Pastor, what is that? It's the Spirit of God. Therein lies the answer. It's the Spirit of God. He said, they that are after the flesh, let's read this, do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So Paul is simply saying, if you're in the flesh, he said that you're minding the things of the flesh. But see, church family, let me tell you, if you've been born again, you're changed. We're talking about an experience that's more than just a religious conversion inside your head. We're talking about that when you got born again, God sent the same spirit. We're going to read it in just a moment. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells inside of you. We have a spiritual communion with God. We don't just know God in our minds. This is not something that we uh, ascend to do in our minds. This is a relationship that's formed through the communion of the Holy Ghost. Let's go a little bit farther. He said, if you're carnally minded, that's death. Spiritually minded is the life and peace. The carnal mind is enmity against God. This is much deeper than time is allowing me to elaborate. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. See, someone that um, is carnally minded, has not received the Holy Spirit, cannot live a life that's pleasing to God. But here's the distinction. Look at this. So they that are in the flesh, they can't please God. They can try. That's why so many people experience failure. They try to be a Christian. You don't try to be a Christian. You're either born again and receive the Spirit or you're not. But people try. They try to, well, they see somebody else's conduct and they try to replicate it. And they fail miserably. Come on. Sometimes there's a desire in them to do right. But they lack the power to do right. They lack the empowerment. Let's go farther. Here starts the answer, starts to be unfolding. But you are not in the flesh. That's us. Say, Pastor, I'm right here, flesh and blown. The principle he's talking about, you're not dominated by the flesh. You're in the spirit. The life that you live is in the spirit. Is that right? The Holy Spirit, which means the spirit means pneuma in the Greek. It's breath. It's the breath of God. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And so Paul's actually giving a way to, to, to identify whether somebody's genuinely Christ. Have you received the indwelling Spirit? If you've received the indwelling Spirit, you're going to know it. In just a moment, you'll see this. I'm going to, I want to read it on down so I can elaborate for a few words before I, before I close. Let's read this. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him, look at this, that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, which means to make alive your mortal body. By what? By what? Say it loud. By his Spirit that does what? What does the Spirit do? Well, he doesn't just come upon you. He doesn't just light upon you like he did Jesus in the water baptism. He doesn't just come upon you like he did the prophets of old. He dwells inside you. He dwells in you by his spirit, it says here. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. 
And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And the 15th verse says, you've received the Spirit, which is an adoption, which the Spirit cries, Abba, Father. Let's put it together real quickly and see if I can make the spiritual principle for just a moment of time and kind of connect it. I won't come down for a moment because I want to talk, get in this little zone for just a moment. I think it's so critical to help every one of us, whether you've been in the kingdom for many, many years or whether you're this group of new folks that were all lined up right here that were celebrating their freedom from addictions. We all have a reason to celebrate freedom from our addictions. Not just drug addictions, but sinful addictions, our appetites, lust. So we may not know what it's like to go. Some of us may not know what it's like to go through rehab and, and go through the process there. But we know what it's like to wrestle with cravings that we know are not of God. Right? We do. All of us here. All of us here have a common thing and in, 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 in there's a common denominator and that's we're in the flesh and there's a craving appetite within us to sin. But we have discovered based upon our belief in Jesus' blood on the cross that when we put our faith in Christ, not only did God take away our sin debt because we knew we were sinners, that's called Conviction. Conviction is when you become aware that you have broken the law. Conviction is what you feel when the blue lights go on in your rearview mirror, right? And he comes out with that round brim hat and he looks down at you and, and Levi's here. And Levi's looking at you and Levi's saying, why are you going uh, 62 in a 40? And, and then you start, well, I'm trying to get to church. That's a lot. Now you've lied. But when that happens and you know you're guilty, you know, like a, a teacher and a student, when you know you're guilty, that conviction comes on you. Conviction is a gift from God. Conviction is like pain. Pain because if you didn't have pain, you could cut yourself and bleed out and not even know it. Conviction is when your heart, that's when you begin to realize, I'm a sinner. I've sinned and I need a Savior. And when that conviction comes on you and then you realize, wait just a minute, I cannot take away this sin debtedness. I'm bound to it. And then God says, wait, look at my son. Look at my son. You deserve to die. You deserve death. You deserve punishment. You were, whether or not you sin lightly or sin deeply doesn't matter. You were all sin. But I, being God, said I hung my son on a cross on a mountain in Jerusalem. We call it Golgotha. Some call it Calvary. It was between two thieves. It was there that the blessed Son of God with a crown of thorns about his brow that he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he bowed his head that day and said, It is finished and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain because God's righteous demand for payment had now been satisfied because the only thing that had value to release us of our sin debtedness was the precious blood of Jesus and it had finally been spilt. Glory to God. And men could go free. Glory to God. We could be free from our indebtedness and there's no condemnation to you. You can live your life with the knowledge. You know what? That old man died with Jesus. This Bible is so rich in analogies to show us we were buried with him. My old man was buried with Jesus. Right, so that I can live a life pleasing to God. And so that's the first realization is your sin debtedness is released. And it's liberating. Come on. It's liberating. 
But the next step is, but wait a minute. I want to walk in a life that's pleasing to God. Time will not allow me, but I had written down on my notes. I came down for the singular purpose of not relying on my notes because I would over-preach the message. Because I wrote down so many paths. When you start reading the scriptures, because you start getting hungry for the word, and you start seeing what the Bible says, well, I'm not under the law, but the Bible still says, lie. The New Testament starts saying, well, don't steal. You start reading it, it says, the Bible still says, well, don't let filthy communication come out of your mouth. The Bible still says, don't commit adultery. Hello? And then, and, and then for a brief moment, you're like, whoa, 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 just a minute. I was released from what I used to be. I didn't think I was under the law, but I find even under the New Testament, there's an expectation of God of what a life that's pleasing to him should look like. And I get caught at that moment briefly about how do I do what I once used to desire to do, which at times I desired to please God, but I was not able to. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. The Holy Spirit has joined with your spirit. And there is now, please listen to me, there is now a power inside you that gives you the ability to serve God and to live a life that's pleasing to him. Does that make sense here today? That's the life of the spirit. And that's what the whole passage there Paul has unfolded for us in the book of Romans is that if we have received his spirit, and we learn to trust his spirit and learn to walk in his spirit and abide in his spirit, then we will daily, daily, you will mortify the ungodly desires of your body. Let me show you how quickly this is. If this is an object that I don't own, that's not mine. And let's just say that that oil is very, very valuable. And that it could, let's say that is the oil that they anointed Jesus with, Mary did before his burial. You remember that passage? It was worth a year's worth of wages. That's very, uh, that was very, exp- so, so that could be worth thousands of dollars, right? And, and, and nobody's around. And I walk past it, and I walk just walk past it. What you don't realize what you've done is in that moment, you mortified stealing. It may not even entered your mind. It might have entered your mind. Now, for some people that struggled in the past, you may go, Shut the and we'll see him. I'm going to pray. And you hurry up and get past it, right? Because you struggled with that in the past. And so, yeah, it, that, that struggle is more real. So that could, be, that could be when the next time somebody puts crystal meth in front of some of y'all. Yeah, and you could feel this. See, like me, here's how I walk past crystal meth. I, I was like, I, I thought that battery acid stuff goes in the battery. Not in me. But when you put it in your body and an addiction is created, you may walk past it and you might feel the shake of it a little bit because it's trying to pull you. It's like the ring in the fellowship of the ring. It's wanting to come back to the owner. Hello? Are y'all with me out there? I feel the Holy Ghost here, so I'm just going to let it flow right here. And so you may feel the struggle of it. You may be like Froto just a little bit. You may feel the struggle of it. It's your burden, Froto. But let me tell you real quickly today that once you, whether you struggle or whether you just walk past it, the moment that you don't take it, then you have put to death a craving desire, right? You put it to death. And you lived by the, you say, well, how did I do that? The Spirit of God. 
And I'm not saying that he fell on you in that moment and you found a halo around you and that, or there were two angels that were ushering you past it. There may have been, you may have not seen them. I'm just saying that on a daily basis, when you don't do the thing that your flesh desires to do, that's called mortifying the flesh. And when you then, though, some people, though, all they live is in the realm of denial. All they, their, 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 their spiritual uh, experience is attempting to deny the flesh. But the principle here is that not only by the Spirit do we deny the flesh, but we live to serve God. Amen. So we begin to then take our life instruments and we yield them unto God. And we then we start serving people, loving people. Come on. Doing things for the glory of God, the kingdom of God. That's what the whole passages of Romans 5, 6, is that right? 7 and 8 is written. The instruments that you used to yield to do immoral things with, which was your hands, now those same hands are used to worship God. Right? That's the cry of the Spirit. And this power, here's the power. It's the same Spirit. Can you say that with the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. We used to sing it in the late 80s. We used to sing a lot of scriptures. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he shall quicken your mortal body by the same spirit that dwells in you. So if you believe, you say, Pastor, man, I didn't know, can I overcome these things? Well, let me tell you this. I'm going to share one uh, last uh, comparison, and then I'm going to close. But, but before I do, take this point. Do you believe, let me ask every one of you here today, do you believe that Jesus Christ died? All right, do you believe he's alive? Yes. So he lay in the ground for three days, right? But what raised him from the dead? What? Say it again. You believe he's alive today? Yes. Right? Totally alive. Yes. Not, not just a spirit being like an angel, but that his flesh was raised, right? So if he were here today, I could be like Thomas. I could touch him in the palm of his hand. I could reach out and he'd have a hole in his side. His brow would still be scarred from the from the crown of thorns. Is that right? If he turned his back, it wouldn't say under armor, right? It would be, there would be stripes on his back. Is that right? Because he's in the flesh, empowered by what? By what? By the Spirit of God. So do you believe that with all your heart? Do you? All right, and if you do, then you're saved. Just want you to know, right? Because that's how you get saved. You believe that Jesus died, you believe that he was buried, and you believe he was raised again to the glory of God. But what maybe you are not aware of, like my insurance policy, I was not aware that not only would my indebtedness get paid off, but I would be empowered to live a different life. And so now, if you believe the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, when you got saved, he sent just that quickly. The breath, the breath of God came on the inside of you, and your lifeless spirit has now been made alive by the Holy Spirit who dwells inside you. All right, so not only are you flesh... Not only are you soul, mind, will, and emotions, but you have the breath of God on the inside of you. And now, dwelling inside you is a power to do what you previously could not do. Now you can just walk on by, right? Because of the power that dwells inside you. The redemptive power of God. Not only are you forgiven, but you're empowered. I'm going to close with the last biblical analogy. Close real quickly, if I can. One of my favorite stories in Scripture, you've heard me preach about it countless times. Time won't allow me to really develop the story, but you remember it's in First, no, 2 Samuel chapter number 9. David is king of Israel, 
And this was a little moment of peace in David's. David's kingdom was settled in blood. He was a warrior. You know this. But let me just use this as a brief analogy. The Lord wrote this on the tablet of my heart. I saw this story a little bit differently. But that's the story where David, he just wanted, he was thinking about his close friend, his close friend, Jonathan. Y'all remember that? You've heard me preach about it multiple times. So Jonathan, you know, they, the Bible says they loved each other like a, their own soul. David loved him like a, with a greater love than that of a woman. He said, Can, are y'all with me for just a minute? I won't preach long, but I've got to finish this just real quickly. And, but Jonathan died in warfare. And, you know, years passed, and they had cut covenant together. They were blood brothers. If you know anything at all, they literally cut covenant. I mean, they cut Come on, the old Indian thing that you did as a kid. You know, I didn't ever, I wanted to, so I'd wait for a sore to be opened up and then maybe with my cousin or something like that. But they literally cut covenant with each other. They commingled. They said, my assets are your assets. My resources are your resources. They promised each other, we'll show each other's offspring good all the days of our lives. Well, Jonathan died in battle as a relatively young man, though he was married and did have a family. Y'all know the story that later, later, his son uh, is Mephibosheth. He's five years old when news comes out of Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan have perished. And so this is the story. I know that you know it. The nurse picks him up to flee because they anticipate David, perhaps whoever's coming, the Philistines or David, somebody's going to come take the kingdom. And often they kill the remaining remnants of the previous dynasty, Right? And she picked him up, and as she was leaving, she stumbled, she dropped him, and she fractured both his legs. His feet were not able to be set appropriately because of lack of medical care at that time or whatever, and so it crippled him. So he's a cripple the rest of his life. Nobody even knows about him. He's, he, he disappears into biblical obscurity until 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, when David said, it's, he's thinking about Jonathan. I know that we think, man, God's got me on his mind. Let me tell you who God's got on his mind. God's got Jesus on his mind. And so, <laughs> oh, Shatakaya Mosia. He does. I tell you, he loves his son. He loved his son. And so, he said, I, if I could only show kindness to somebody and said, is there anybody? And they said, well, you know, he did have a son. And that's when David said, he had a son. Or is he still alive? All these years later, many years later, five years old from the fall, now he's he's a young adult. He's got family himself, but he's crippled. He's living in Lodabar. Lodabar means the place of barren wilderness. And we know why he was living there. He was living there and hiding. He was living there hiding because it was the typical practice of the dynasties. When the dynasties turned over, you killed all the living remnants of the previous dynasty. So the day that David's horsemen go to get Mephibosheth he's expected this day all his life that they would finally find him they found him and they pick him up and they rush him back to the palace in Jerusalem and this is just paraphrasing and also adding a little theatrical to it they cast him down at the feet of Jesus or excuse me of David cast him down at the feet of David and and and, and Mephibosheth says these words he says David wh- why would you want a dead dog like me I'm just, I'm, just de- I'm just dead. There's nothing to my life. I have no value. I have no sense of worth. I have no purpose. I have no drive. David said, Mephibosheth, I want to show you kindness. And Mephibosheth is going, what? I want to show you kindness, Mephibosheth. And he's like, why? Why do you want to show me kindness? I haven't done anything to deserve 
an act of not only pardon, which is what was being given by not killing him, but also an act of kindness, which is called grace. Do you hear that? There's those two magical words, mercy and grace. David didn't kill him, that's mercy. But grace said, not only do I want to not, David said, not only do I want to kill you, I'm going to change your life. Get up off of the ground, Mephibosheth. You've lived your last day in Lodabar. You've lived your last day in Lodabar. You know what you're going to do? You're going to live in the palace with me. And you're going to eat at my table just like one of the king's sons. And I'm sure when Mephibosheth heard that, he, he didn't understand the impact of it. He didn't understand initially the impact of it. But all of a sudden, he looks out there, and there's a trailer behind a horse that's went back to Lodabar and got all of his little possessions, including his family. And the day before, he slept in a ratty bed, perhaps with lice and bed bugs. But the day after, he sleeps in the king's palace. The day before, he didn't know where his next meal was coming that he might beg on the streets of Lodabar. But the day after mercy had been shown to him and grace had been given to him, the next day when it came time to eat, he sat at the table of the king. And when I was thinking about this thing called forgiven and empowered, it brought me into the awareness that just like Mephibosheth, God will not leave you in Lodabar. God won't just pardon your sins and leave you in that place where your sins are forgiven, but you can't live a life that's pleasing to him. But God will bring you to his house, fill you with his grace, empower you by his spirit, and every day you can get up and live a life that's pleasing to the Father. Glory to God. Won't y'all stand up around here today? Join me on the platform, whoever my musician is. I know I've preached a long time. I've cut that short to let you out of here. I've preached 47 minutes, but please let me give this message a final a finality church family let me tell you today God's not only extended mercy to you he's given you grace he's given you the power of life you can live a life that's pleasing to the father you can you can don't accept the lie of the enemy that says you'll always be in Lodabar but know that God's brought you into his house He's brought you into his kingdom. He's brought you into his family. You eat at the table. You know, I thought about this, and I want to close in prayer. I'm going to give an invitation here today in just a moment. You say, Pastor, is it going to be just real easy? I'm sure that the next day, Mephibosheth still had to pull his feet out from the, in the morning. And here's... He still was crippled. But you know what the difference was? He had help. He said, Pastor, I, I may still struggle, but there's help. He's called the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you the ability to strengthen your life, to do the things that you've always desired to do to please God, but you couldn't do. But when the Spirit comes in, the life changes. It does. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed. I'm going to give a two-fold invitation this morning. It's 18, 19 minutes after 12. It's a little in overtime. I understand that. Can't make apology. Here today, I believe there's somebody here today that, that when I've been preaching, man, that thing called conviction has already been gripping you. You've been gripping you. 
you're here as a, a visitor. Somebody brought you here this morning. And, 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 and the reality is we've all sinned. We've all sinned. Somebody under the sound of my voice today has never accepted Jesus Christ's forgiveness and mercy that he's offered at the cross. Somebody here today, I believe that with all my heart today, somebody here today has never done so. But as I preach today, you would like to do so. What you're saying is you would like to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You would like to receive mercy. You would like to receive pardon. God would forgive you of your sins. And if that's you here today, I want you to have the courage to raise your hand because I'll pray with you right where you are. Thank you for that hand going up. Is there anyone else? Thank you. I see that hand in the back. Thank you. I knew in my heart there was somebody here, and I can see that today. Anyone else here today? Is there one? Thank you. I see that hand over here. Thank you so much. So much. Three hands have been raised so far. Now, church family, let's pray. Hallelujah. Listen, we're, we, we, we celebrate this decision that you're making to receive forgiveness. It's a gift. God offers it through his son. So I want you to pray a prayer with me. I want you to pray this prayer with me. It's very simple. Just pray it. Say, Father, you can pray it out loud if you'd like. I'd like for you to if you would. Father, today, come on, church family, pray it. Let's create some volume in here. So, so pray it with me. Say, today, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sins and that he was raised again for my righteousness. I ask today you forgive me, wash me, and cleanse me of all my sin. Today, Lord, I trust you as my Savior. Therefore, my sins are forgiven. Lord, I will follow you all the days of my life. You're my God and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Put your hands together, church family. Amen. Amen. Now listen, wait, wait. There's too much Holy Spirit moving right now for me to let go right now, real quickly. But real quickly, before I let you out of here, real quickly. But you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. That I'm not, Pastor, today you've made it so clear that I could understand that God has a way and a means for me to overcome the addictions, the tongue that speaks cursing, hello, the desire to steal and take stuff that I'm not supposed to have. I've struggled, but today, Pastor, you've shown me it's in the Spirit. There's no condemnation. My sins are forgiven. I can do this through Christ, through His indwelling Spirit. I want to pray for you today. That's for everyone here today, especially those that need this fresh work of grace. Let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, let me pray. I pray. I pray for all those under the sound. They know who they are. I didn't ask them to raise their hand because all across this auditorium, men and women, young and old, Father God, uh, long-term adherent or new to the church, God, I could, they, that's them. I know it. I, I could feel it the moment I got in this sanctuary. They've had a desire to follow you. They maybe even professed you as their Savior, but they just stumbled. They kept struggling. But today, God, they are brought into the understanding that not only are they forgiven, but they're empowered to think, act, and talk differently, to live life differently. So today... God, and I want you to just say this. We said, today, God, I choose life. Come on, say it with me together, church family. I choose life. Life in the spirit. 
I will walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of my flesh. I will live a life that's pleasing to you. God, I love you today. Thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, somebody. Amen. And amen and amen and amen. Thank you so much. Now let me say a closing prayer over you. I know it's three prayers in a row, but that's all right. Father in heaven, I love you. Bless every man, woman, boy, and girl that's under the sound of my voice. Some raise their hand to accept Christ, God. I'm going to trust we're going to see them water baptized in the weeks ahead. God, the days in the weeks ahead. But Father, also, God, I pray for every person here that has had that struggle in the flesh, the desire to serve you, but not knowing that it's the Spirit. It's the Spirit that gives them life. Today, they're going to walk out of here like I did 13 years ago when the, it was made known to me that not only was my debt released, but my future would be affected. And the, revela- the realization that happened inside me caused me to live my life differently. There are those here today that are going to live their life differently through the revelation that's come to them this morning. And oh, they're going to bring you glory, God. I I just celebrate they're going to bring you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's children said amen and amen. Put your hands together and love one another as you're dismissed. Thank you so much for being in service with us today. God bless you. We're praying for you and your family. If you're a visitor, thank you for being in service. If uh, you see somebody you don't know, church family, make sure you love on them and welcome them to the Lord's house today. Forgiven because you were forsaken.